scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 58. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58. And your pew Bibles is on page 1023. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's exciting times. The fireproofing sessions were off to a great start this week, and thank you to each one that participated in that, and and especially those that helped with the child care during that. Keep in mind there will be need for that over the next several weeks, and if you can help in that, be sure and do that. Also, we're excited about this time of year because there are things that we want to do all year long, but we kind of place an emphasis on them this time of year just to remind us of those. Two things this month will be prayer and gratitude, and so over the next few weeks, especially, we'll be thinking about prayer. You'll notice as you came into the foyer, there are prayer request forms, and we'd ask you to submit what would you like for the congregation to be praying specifically for you. And if you will, complete that form, drop it in a box that's the Welcome Center, and over the next few weeks, individuals will be praying specifically for you in those areas. Also, keep in mind, over the next a few days, you'll hear specific announcements about uh, two weekends from now where we'll have an emphasis on prayer and be sure and, and be a part of that. And let's make sure that we remember where all good gifts come from. Uh, our sufficiency is only in the Lord. It's He that provides all that we need and all that we have that's good. And let's make sure uh, that we remember that and lean heavily upon Him. Isn't it wonderful when you see things building up? Doesn't it break your heart when you see maybe a family or a marriage or maybe a relationship between a parent or a child deteriorate? Doesn't that break your heart? Or maybe many of you have been a part of a corporation that you've seen downsizing or maybe seen the company go completely out of business and that's sometimes hard to deal with. When we study civilizations, we see nations go through a period of greatness, but then also we see nations dissolve completely. Isn't it interesting to think of the fact that there is such a blessing to growth and strengthening versus decay and struggling? Do you realize that's true in the life of a congregation? As a congregation, we're either alive and we're growing. Or all of us, perhaps, have seen congregations where they've struggled. And over the years, those struggles even came to the point that maybe that particular congregation dissolved. Just like individuals say, oh, I love my family. My family is a great encouragement and support to me. Usually they're describing a strong and growing family. Or maybe they say, I like my workplace. I, I, really, I really enjoy where I work. Usually they're describing a workplace that's strong and growing. Do you like your congregation? Oh, it doesn't belong to any of us. It's the Lord's church, but do you like it? Usually when we say yes, I'm so thankful, thankful to be a part of that congregation, it's because we're describing a congregation that is alive and growing. Now, as we think about the opportunities that we have that 
are just around the corner. The opportunities to expand our education wing, almost double it in size. What a need that has been. What a responsibility it creates upon our shoulders. And then also, what an opportunity that we place before us as a congregation to enjoy and to learn in these very rooms, but also to pass on to generations that also learning can take place there. You know, as we consider this, this morning, I'd like for you to realize that there are going to be many blessings. There will be an elevator, whereas now the adult rooms that are convenient, are, there are only about four adult classes that are convenient right now. But yet with the elevator, all of our adult classes and even children's classes can be conveniently reached by everyone. Also, the library will be brought closer to the central part of the building as if to place an emphasis on learning. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But then, a tremendous need is simply more classroom space. I'd like for you to look at this slide. And as we look at this slide, I want to emphasize to you, as we so oftentimes do, it's not numbers for numbers' sake. The only time we want to talk about numbers is we want to talk about numbers whenever it deals with souls. What is it that we can do to reach more souls? If you can see the screen right now, you're looking back at a history of how many souls have been a part of this church body, a part of the Sunday morning worship. That would represent souls that are part of the core of this congregation. That would represent the souls that are somewhat on the fringe. That would represent the souls that are visiting. As we look at this, we see in 88, there were around 329 individuals here. And we drop down to 2008, and we see that the average for this year thus far is around 919. If you'll take your eyes back to around 2004 and 2005 there, you see the attendance of about 658 to 722. It was at that point that we come to realize that we were full. We did not have enough classrooms. You remember is also at that time we realized we were out of everything. We were out of places to see, be seated in the auditorium. We were places to park were no longer available. And several things have been done and continue to be done. We're talking about positive things. We're talking about growing pains. As an organization grows, as the church grows, we want these kind of problems, but we want to bring these up for information's sake so that everybody's on the same page, so that we realize that we're talking about souls here. Now, for just a moment, I'd like for you to look back at 2004 there, and then I'd like to take your eyes over to 1988. You see there what is roughly a 100% increase. What if individuals back in 30-plus years ago when all that was here was the one building there and the education wing did not even exist? What if those individuals would have said, no, some way we can cram more people in a classroom. We're not going to build an education wing the souls that are represented in this room right now would not be a part of this congregation. We know that it would be impossible in that one facility to house all the souls to learn. But there was a decision made by individuals several decades ago that still bless you and I today. Now, I don't think anybody would even try this at least if you've ever walked through our education department, but just in case, to make sure we're on the same page, if anybody today would even say, oh, I think some way we can get more people in classrooms. We've been needing to add additional adult classes and literally do not have a room to put them. 
Ask the individuals that have been walking across two parking lots up the stairs and around the corner to the 2040 building for several years now. Ask the classes that have met in the Senior Citizen Center and the ones that have met in the rented wedding chapel next door. We're out of classroom space. But let's note this. We're not talking about convenience. We're talking about souls. I don't know how many of you, a little show of hands, you remember Siltest milk crates? Anybody remember a Siltest milk crate? I don't know how we got by on the farm. We couldn't have got by on the farm without the old metal Siltest milk crates. I've heard my daddy say many times, well, I'd be comfortable sitting on a Siltest milk crate. You know what? I would too. And many of you here would be comfortable sitting on a Siltest milk crate. You know why? Because we have a core value system that says, I'm going to worship God no matter how uncomfortable it is. I'm going to study God's Word with God's people no matter how uncomfortable it is. If we literally have to go out under a tree and sit on a Siltest milk crate, I'm going to be there. And I know that many of you would do the very same thing. You know the souls that we're trying to reach? We're trying to reach the ones that don't have that core value system. We're trying to reach the ones that for some reason something's happened in their life and they're searching for something. And friends, the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we going to have a comfortable place that would be attractive to prove to them that we believe the study of God's Word is so important that it's a high priority in our life? And we have a comfortable chair for you to sit in. We have a comfortable room. We have a learning environment because that is of the utmost importance to us. And what we want to do is we want to take that number that's on the fringe and we want to bring them in so that they're a part of a group of individuals that says, yes, I would sit on a seal test milk crate. We want to take and we want to grow this number where we are surrounded by communities of Mount Juliet and Hermitage and Old Hickory and just across the Davidson County line of so many areas that are growing and growing where literally the Lord is bringing the mission field to us. Are we going to have a place to put these people? Friends, the answer is, with God, we can. Next Sunday, we're going to have an opportunity to open our hearts, to sacrificially give, to believe that with God we can. I think about the church at Corinth, the text that's been so capably read. As you look at that text, I'd like to remind you of what Vaughn Dobschutz said as he described what Corinth would have been like in the first century. As we read this, I'd like for you to notice the emphasis that's placed on business, making money. The emphasis that's placed on pleasure, fleshly fulfillment. And the emphasis that's placed on almost like the worship of the physical body. And think how much this looks like America today. He said, describing first century Corinth this way, the ideal of the Corinthians was the reckless development of the individual. The merchant who made his gain by all and every means. The man of pleasure surrendering himself to every lust. The athlete steeled to every bodily exercise and proud in his physical strength are the true Corinthian types. 
In a word, the man who recognized no superior and no law but his own desires. Friends, what this man has described is any time we lower our eyes, instead of setting our affections on things above, we look to the earth. And instead of thinking about eternal things, we look to temporal things. And we start believing that all these temporal things are the end. Keep in mind, it's God that gives us the opportunity to be in business and make money. But that is not to be the end. That is to be the tools that we use for the end. It's God that will allow us to have pleasure, but it's not to misuse our pleasure in sinful ways, but it's to use the opportunities God gives us for eternal glory. It's God who gives us our body, and we're to take it and take care of it, to use it for His glory. What is the greatest thing that could ever be given to you? What is the greatest thing that could ever be given to you? Where you say, if I achieve that, it's victory. Everything else is secondary. If I can achieve this, what would it be? Writing to this kind of culture. Paul had already worked with these people. He'd lived with them for 18 months. Go back now, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and look at the first couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Now remember, the gospel means good news. I declare to you the gospel. So the the Bible is good news, which I preach to you, which keep in mind how he's talking. This is what you, 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 notice what he did. I've preached to you the gospel, which, uh, which also you received in which you stand by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, you know, from the scripture reading this morning, he's going to close out this chapter by talking about you have a victory in Jesus Christ. You see what Paul is reminding them of. He's saying, look what you had. I took the good news and I gave it to you. You embraced it. You received it. You changed your life. You were saved. Victory. Friends, this morning, if there is anyone here that does not have that victory, don't leave here without having that victory. There's nothing we can accomplish in the business world that will rival a salvation an eternity with God. There's nothing that we can have in earthly pleasure where you say, I don't want to give this up that would be worth it to have an eternity with God. There is nothing about our physical body that we should sacrifice an eternity with God. To have victory in Jesus is the greatest. But I would like for you to notice as we look at this next slide, it's the very same verse But notice what's emphasized as we read verse 2 again. He said, by which also you are saved. But notice the word if. Small word. Significant meaning here. If you hold fast the word. Paul's writing to these individuals and he says, you've had the victory in Jesus. Don't let down. Isn't it amazing how sometimes the beginning is so easy? It's so exciting. We're all about it. And the next thing we know, we're struggling to continue. Paul's writing these group of individuals that they've been saved. But now as we read through 1 Corinthians, we see that they were having problems with unity. They were starting to work against each other. 
We see that they were having problems with morality and and taking each other to court and, and sexual immorality. We see that they were having problems with becoming jealous over individuals' gifts. And we even see the order of worship addressed. And now we come to this point. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, keep your eyes on the Lord. Now is not the time to let down. Isn't it interesting also in the life of a congregation how when a church is planted, it may only be 25 or 30 people, but you know what's a common characteristic of a first-generation church? Everybody in that church believes that it's their responsibility to do their part. Everybody believes it's their responsibility to give. It's their responsibility to invite others. We're only 25 or 30 in size. If we're going to get this congregation off the ground, we've got to all do our part. And so 30 or 40 more come in. Now we're 50 or 60 in size. And everybody believes it's their responsibility to do their part. They don't talk about them. They talk about us. They don't talk about what they ought to do. They talk about what I ought to do. And somewhere along that second and third generation church, it shouldn't be this way. And it's not always this way. But oftentimes what happens is individuals begin talking about them, what they ought to do at church. Let's make sure that we're all clear what the word church means. The church is not a structure. The church is not a social club. The church is made up of all that are saved. And so the next time you're tempted to say, I tell you what they ought to do at the church... Keep in mind, you're either saying, you're either implying there, oh, I'm not saved, but I tell you what the saved people ought to do, or you're implying, oh, I want to look at myself as saved, but I just don't want to do what saved people do. We don't only need to bite our tongue, we need to break the attitude that says, that's the church, and this is me. Friends, when we talk about the responsibility of the church to reach the souls that are around us, we're talking about each has responsibility. Now that we have a victory in Jesus, it's not a time to let down. It's not a time to become or to have or develop a mentality of a fourth or a fifth or a sixth generation church. We ought to every year have the the mindset of a first generation church. This is us. This is my responsibility. This is what I need to give. This is what I need to do. Because the Lord's church should never marry one generation. The Lord's church should always be actively engaged in the present. There are souls all around us today. We can't take the reins and hitch our horse to 2008 and then come along 2012 and like what we see. If we're going to have a church that is alive and a church where we say, I like being a part of that because it's alive, it's healthy, it's going to be because we continue to invest in the present generation in order to reach the next generation. As we think about that, I'd like to quickly mention to you something that I know very little about except for the way it's oftentimes defined in a loose sort of way. You ever heard of the law of thermodynamic? 
there's a second aspect of that law that in a nutshell, it could be said this way. It tells us that the quality of a particular amount of energy, the amount of work, action that it can do diminishes for each time this energy is used. Putting that in simple forms, it could be said this way. All complex systems run down. Now this is very important as we think about the lifestyle of the Corinthians and Paul saying to them, hey, you're starting to put your emphasis, your focus on things that are running down. Lift your eyes on something that's not running down. Well, how does this work? Turn back with me to Psalms 102 and let's see how this works in life and in eternity. In Psalms 102, we begin reading at verse 25. And notice here we have an emphasis of two things. We have that that is running down, but we also have that that is eternal. In Psalm 102, beginning in 25, he says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Now just in case you didn't follow those two verses together, he's literally talking about the earth. The earth is going to grow old like a garment. I'm all for us taking care of the earth, but if our green mentality is that we're going to cease the earth from aging, that breaks the law of thermodynamics. That's never going to happen. We're going to have an earth that continues to age. But notice what doesn't age. At at the very end, 26, they shall be changed. 27, but you, talking about the Almighty God, are the same and your years will have no end. Turn over a few pages in your Bible to Ecclesiastes 3. That was a picture of the earth. The earth is going to continue to decrease. How foolish would it be if we place all of our emphasis on earthly things? We go and think about the body. In Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, look at verse 20. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to the dust. Notice here, he's not talking about the soul, because the soul's... Do not all go to one place, but the bodies do. All bodies return back to dust. Friends, how much emphasis do you place on this body? Isn't it interesting how much care, how much money, how much time we invest in the body? Is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. Unless we invest more in the body than we do in the soul. Wouldn't that be foolish if we started investing more of our desire, more of our heart, more of our energy in the thing that is literally on a path of destruction than we do upon the soul that can have an eternity with God? Or if we want to see it another way, let's skip a slide and let's go to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Notice as we read 16 and 17. To me, this lays it out about as, as well as it could be laid out in the scriptures that where if we want to look and say, okay, let's compare here what's winding down and let's compare with what doesn't wind down. And notice this, in 2 Corinthians, keep in mind, we're studying out of text today to Corinth. This was the second letter to them. And he says in 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Okay, now wait a minute. You got to fill in the blank. He is writing to. Who's he writing to? Whoever it is, he says, I want to warn you, your outer person is perishing. Oh, he must have been addressing those that are terminally ill. Because after all, we know that we're strong and healthy. He's not writing to us. 
Well, who's he writing to? Now, he didn't select just a few. He's writing to everyone in this room, everyone that's alive on this earth. What's going to happen to your outward person? The outer man right now, the outer body is on a timeline of ultimately diminishing. Well, what does he say? It doesn't have to be that way through and through. Because notice the rest. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That breaks. That violates the law of thermodynamics because we have a power with God that is an eternal power. And that's why the whole emphasis is, are we going to set our affections on things above or things on this earth? Notice as we read 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding, and here it is, eternal weight of glory. Now he summarizes these two verses. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Where are our eyes? Do we live on an earth that is temporary? Yes. Do we place our heart upon or in the earth that is temporary? That's the question we have to ask. We have a victory in Jesus. That means we've lifted our eyes towards Jesus. But now's not a time to let down and say, well, I've got to admit, at one time I was wholly focused upon the Lord, but now I'm starting to love the world a whole lot. If we have our victory in Jesus, let's keep it there. Let's not become confused about what's important. You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew the 6th chapter? As we look at this, you'll notice that I put my name in parentheses, but what I want you to do is put your name in parentheses here. And, and as if Jesus, he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount, except let's just imagine that he's sitting in your living room and he's having a talk with you and he's asking you, have you grown to the point of maturity where you truly, truly are living for eternal things? Now keep in mind, I want to emphasize this. The blessings we receive are from God, but the blessings are never to be the end. Maybe someone here was, was born into a wealthy family. And maybe where some of us talk about thousands, you talk about millions. Are you supposed to feel bad? No. But it doesn't matter if you're talking thousands or if you're talking millions. All of us are to use what God has given us as a tool to His glory. There may be someone here that struggled to have enough physical strength to get out of bed this morning. And there's others here that can run 26.2 miles and they do it regularly. Now, what are we saying? Whatever health God has given you, Use it to His glory. Whatever opportunities God has given you. Let's never allow our material possessions. Let's never allow our health. Let's never allow our opportunities to be the end. Oh, this is mine. No, all of this is to be used for eternal good. And note this, and it reveals our heart. It reveals our... Look, look at this passage and think about Jesus talking to you. In other words, David... Do you lay up your, uh, for yourselves treasures on earth? Can, can you say that for yourself? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. You see, that, even though it's not exactly, that's kind of the same principle of the law of thermodynamics. It's, it's all winding down. It may decay, it may get stolen, but the bottom line is it's not permanent. Look at 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither raw... Moths nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then this powerful summary. For where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. Follow the money trail. You'll find your heart. Get out your PDA and follow your time schedule. You found your heart. The health that God gave you And I literally mean God bless you for using that health to come to worship God today. Because think of all of the souls around us that they too enjoyed enough health to be here, but for whatever reason they decided to not use their health to worship an almighty God that deserves our all. But the questions we have to ask ourselves is number one, do I really have a victory in Jesus? Number two, Am I starting to let down, lower my focus, wind it down, focus on the things that just won't last? Or can I say today, I am 100% invested in eternity. That must be our goal. So let's close by going back to our text now. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. As we go back there, I'd like to take your eyes. We've looked at the beginning and then look at the end. 55, O death, where is thy sting? Let's skip that one. And All right, look, see there, the beginning the twi- of the 15th chapter in verse 2, you hold fast the word of God which I preached to you. But now notice verse 58. It's interesting, for 57 verses, the teaching has been about the resurrection. Then we come to that word, therefore. In other words, Paul's going to say, I'm going to take the teaching on the resurrection and I'm going to link it now to what is expected, what is required of us on a daily basis. And so notice this as we read 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now the next slide, we do the same thing that we talked about in Matthew. Can I put my name there? And where he says, my beloved brethren, can, can just say your name, David steadfast, immovable, always bound. Can you put your name there and say, yes, Lord, I'm here. I'll serve you on Sunday, but Monday morning, I'm still going to serve you. Friday night, Saturday night, Lord, I'm not turning my back on you. I'm steadfast. I'm immovable. I am yours. But now notice the work he describes there. Always, continual, abounding means overflowing. Can I say I'm always abounding in the work of the Lord? And notice this emphasis here. It's in the Lord. Our work doesn't need to be about earthly things. We take the earthly opportunities we have and do it to His glory. Notice, when we do that, it's never in vain. Our work in the Lord is not in vain. I know we're all different. I can't help. It's not that as much I try to. I just oftentimes, without wanting to, think about my life being over. And I think about my children and my grandchildren. And I think about a church family that I've shared my life with. 
and I become sobered that I could waste my life and waste opportunities. We've just read my favorite verse in the Bible for that reason. My God promises that if I will be steadfast, I will not move, and I will always abound in His work, my life will not have been lived in vain. This week, our elders have asked us to pray, to meditate, and to see what we can do to give toward a special contribution next week. As you do that, I want to ask you to do something that I'm not trying to speak for them, but I know them, and I know they would agree with this. There's something a lot more important than dollars and cents. And so as you think this week about what you ought to give, please think first. Have I first given myself to God? If we had another 15 minutes, we'd go to where Paul writes to these same people in 2 Corinthians 8. He tells them, I want you to learn from the church of Macedonia. They were poor and they gave liberally to a special contribution. You skip down three more verses in the 8th chapter and he says, I want you to learn from our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich in heaven and he became poor so that we could become rich. Someone says, you know, this isn't the best time to be asking people for money. We've seen a lot of cutbacks. We've seen a, a lot of, of tension in the markets and in the economy. And those things are true. I don't think anyone would doubt the, the shaking of the earthly. But friends, this week I want you to think about this. It's never a bad time to ask God's people to be generous. It's never a bad time to ask God's people to be generous. Read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 this week. And that is the message that leaps off the page. All of us can sacrifice. And that's all God would ask us to do. This morning, let's be prayerful about the week before us. But we sing a song of invitation that's very important. Because it gives us all the opportunity to let it be known that we're making decisions that we want victory in Jesus and we're not lowering our eyes. Have you made that decision? Have you been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins because you believe that He is the victor? He's the Savior. And you're ready to repent and turn away from earthly things and toward eternal things. And you're not ashamed. You'll confess Him and you want to live for Him. Maybe you've done that somewhere along the way and, and you catch your eyes and, and along with your eyes is your heart and it's lowering and lowering. 
Isn't it now the time to stop it and put our eyes and our heart back where it belongs? God's blessed us richly, so richly. We're sitting among a house of good people that loves God. And if we can help encourage anybody in any way, come as we stand as we